0: This podcast is very proudly brought to you by my new book, From Peasants' Food to Superfoods. This book is based on cooking for the entire family and it guides cooks from all experiences on how to integrate healthy foods into everyday life. I know it's easy to stick to the same old things every week with a family to feed and a budget to stick to, but eating nutritious and delicious food every night is achievable and affordable learning how to use, prepare and incorporate new and old ingredients into tasty and exciting food is what I love doing. So I have put this book together. It's over 300 pages. There's over 100 simple nutritious recipes, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, desserts. Most of it's gluten-free, dairy-free. It's very gut healing, very anti-inflammatory and I hope that you will love it as much as I have, putting it together and and bringing it to life. So if you would like to check it out, learn more or order it, jump online at www.mgherbs.com.au and thanks for bringing us the podcast today. You're listening to Melissa Gearing, the Naked Naturopath. Mel is a qualified naturopath, herbalist and nutritionist. She can't wait to share her thoughts on all things health and wellness with you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Naked Naturopath. Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Diana Driscoll. She is an internationally recognized researcher, inventor, speaker, author, and patient advocate. She was an optometrist by education, but she was disabled for over a decade with an invisible um, illness uh, or multiple invisible illnesses. She is now fully recovered, um, and she's the recipient of two patents to date and continues her research as President of the Genetic Disease Investigators. She's the Founder and Clinical Director of POTS Care, P-O-T-S, and we're going to talk about uh, what that is. And this is the only clinic dedicated to treating the underlying medical causes of POTS, not just the symptoms. Dr. Driscoll graduated from the University of Houston College and the University of Texas at Austin. She's a member of International Society of Neurovascular Disease, the American Headache Society, the Medical Advisory Board for EDS Network, uh, C-A-R-E-S, CARES, the American Optometric Association, the Tear Film and Ocular Surface Society, and she served as a medical advisor for the Elders Danlos National Foundation. And hopefully I'm saying that right. (laughs) Her peer-reviewed medical abstracts include those involving vascular abnormalities in the fundus of POTS patients the etiology of left ventricular diastolic dysfunction, and the use of certain medications in multiple sclerosis, which I'll get her to say for us and explain. <laughs> she is the author of the Driscoll Theory, which is a publication revealing the propensity for high intracranial pressure in POT patients that dramatically altered this condition um, and how it was evaluated and treated. She has also authored your Eyes and EDS, and was the chief author of the Ophthalmology Medical Resource Guide. She is the recipient of numerous awards for patient advocacy and continues to donate her time to help others across the globe through her online forum and videos on YouTube. Her work in chronic inflammation, the autonomic nervous system, collagen disorders, organ dysfunction, um, it helps people live their best life, as well as have their best best body and mind. Thank you so much for your time today Dr. Driscoll. I really appreciate you coming on the, the podcast and I would love to start with um, you. It sounds like you you had a rough time and it, you're mostly healthy now. What happened and how did you get sick?
1: Yeah, well, first, Melissa, thank you for having me. It's it's really an honor. I appreciate the invitation, and, and that's an amazing introduction. I think my whole <laughs> life was on there. with what an amazing thing to say. Thank you, but yes, this was a terrible journey for, for me, and my children were sick too. I was, like you mentioned, on disability for over a decade, and no one seemed to understand what was going on. It wasn't like I didn't have health prior to that, but I got a a virus when i went overseas on a mission trip and all of us got the same virus i cannot blame the virus itself they recovered just fine but oh two weeks or so after um getting that virus, I started to show some very strange symptoms, like I couldn't control my heart rate, my blood pressure was going up and down, Um, my position, just changing my position would change how I felt. And um, it seemed so mysterious for a while, I started to write down symptoms like difficulty with controlling my temperature, I started to notice my digestion was being affected. And I noticed there was a commonality amongst a lot of those symptoms. They were all autonomic symptoms. Mm -hmm. And I started to look in, is this a problem with the autonomic nervous system? And indeed it was. I was diagnosed with POTS, as you mentioned, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, But it continued to morph, and I ended up with chronic fatigue. Um, I was eventually diagnosed Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, or what they thought that was. I was hypermobile, but nobody really understood any of this. Even more frightening, though, is our kids became sick, too, Mm -hmm. and our son was completely disabled. He was ill when he was eight years old, and he had to miss almost three years of school he started to waste away. He um, became thinner and thinner. He developed severe osteoporosis. He was breaking bones, just putting on his coat or throwing a ball. Yet no one could help us. And we went everywhere for help. So that got us started on a journey looking for answers. It was, it was not something I'd wish on anybody, but we got answers. So
0: Well, I mean, it's not something that I've heard of until we started talking. So maybe you could explain to everybody what what POTS is.
1: Right. I think we think of POTS as a dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. An autonomic nervous system controls the functions of the body that you really shouldn't have to think about. Mm they should be automatic. So POTS is considered a syndrome. Um, It is honestly so much more than what is definition of orthostatic tachycardia. That means when you stand or you get vertical, the heart rate goes faster. It goes too fast. But I was sick in any position and the symptoms involve so much more than just the the heart rate. I would tell the doctors, ignore that and just (laughs) tell me What else is going on? Mm -hmm. If you can't figure out the heart, I get it, but I'm sick in any position. And they just couldn't think past that. Mm -hmm. So the current treatment for POTS was um, high salt, compression garments, a beta blocker to slow the heart rate. I participated in three clinical trials at Mayo Clinic, thought these are the best minds on it. No, they had no ideas what to do. So It evolved every year. I was getting new symptoms. At one point, I had over 80 symptoms. I thought, how is this even possible? But we had to get answers. Um, Basically, though, I think POTS is really, it is not a disease process. And I think that's one way we're going wrong on this. It is a presentation. And we have to figure out what's causing the presentation. And only then can we really get answers.
0: And you mentioned that your digestion was affected and part of what you've been through and and what you've learned is involving your vagus nerve. So it's crucial for normal digestion. Can you remind us how it helps?
1: Yes, yes. The vagus nerve is so important. And years ago when I was trying to put this all together, no one was talking about the vagus nerve. And I thought um, the vagus nerve helps calm the body. It slows the heart rate. It slows breathing. Um, And it does control every aspect of digestion. So everything from swallowing to normal stomach acid production. It allows the opening of the valve at the base of the stomach, the pyloric valve, to let food leave the stomach to go into the intestines. It triggers the gallbladder to release bile to help us digest fats. It uh, tells the pancreas if if protein or fat is headed that way so we can get some digestive enzymes in in place. It controls the uh, sphincter of OD, which allows the release of bile and uh, digestive enzymes into the GI tract. And importantly, it controls motility, that is movement of all of the food, the chyme, the stool throughout the GI tract. It allows us to have normal bowel movements. But importantly, and I think often overlooked, it's the anti-inflammatory nerve of the body. So it helps us control chronic inflammation. It's critical for so many of us. Um, And yet mine just wasn't working.
0: You know, I have a small um, anecdote, if you like. about I did some research on the vagus nerve a little while ago because I had a client who every time they went to the Uh, toilet and um, passed, you know, to go for number twos, fecal matter, they would get incredibly dizzy, really off kilter Um, every time, just after they did the poo, you know, they'd pass it and then they'd get all uh, heady, dizzy and then spend the next hour actually really out of sorts in terms of brain fog, um, you know, even just holding the walls as they walk and stuff like that. And I oh. it came back to the Vegas nerve. Mm. You know, it's like it was Wow, it that's was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Isn't
1: it? You know, you had mentioned in that wonderful introduction that uh, the book I released, gosh, it's been eight years ago, the Dr- wow. Fiscal theory, we also figured out in a lot of patients that fall into this kind of invisible illness category like I did, can suffer. Not everyone does, but um, a fair number of people suffer with high intracranial pressure. Whenever we hear those types of symptoms after a bowel movement, especially if there's straining involved, we think of that too as a valsalva. The maneuver and balsalva or straining can increase intracranial pressure. And that's something mm-hmm. else we'd probably look into. Yeah, <laughs> if they were yeah, at yeah. care. <laughs> So
0: how did um, you figure out that your vagus nerve was a problem? This is interesting.
1: Again, no one was looking at that, but I thought my heart rate started to race at about the same time my gut was showing issues. And at uh, first, it started with food just wasn't leaving my stomach properly. I, I ate a salad one day, and five hours later, it's still sitting in my stomach. I thought, what on earth is going on there?" And then it morphed into constipation with episodic diarrhea. And this is so sad, but there were times I looked forward to diarrhea because at least oh. it gave me some relief from that horrible constipation.
0: So this and this is I had, Dr. Oh, sorry to interrupt. This is your uh, paresis? Is this what this is called?
1: It ended up with gastroparesis. It went from constipation that I could take laxatives, et cetera, and still have a bowel movement. But it got to the point where nothing was working. It was just completely still.
0: The end of the story there.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, it ended up, that's right, with gastroparesis. (laughs) No, no worries. Getting ahead of myself yeah no problem but yeah i tried everything i tried every laxative there was i tried maneuvers what have you nothing was working and i went to my doctor i was having some vague pain in the lower right hand quadrant of my abdomen but she said well first i have nothing to add to this you have tried everything i know of Mm -hmm. and she said perhaps that uh Pain you're having is a kidney stone. Maybe we should have a urologist take a look. And I thought, well, as far as I know, I've never heard a kidney stone feeling like that. But I, I don't think she knew what else to do. Mm. So I saw this great urologist, and he gave me some dye to drink, and he scanned me for stones, and he said there's no kidney stone. But he was super nice and super smart. So I told them what I was thinking about that. I wondered if this was the biggest nerve problem, and this pain I was having, or this kind of squeezing sensation, I thought, I wonder if that's the valve between the large and small intestine, the ileocecal valve, and if that's not working well, um, perhaps nothing's moving past that, and he thought that was an amazing possibility, so he sent me up the hall to a surgeon friend of his to see the surgeon could maybe open that valve and mm. the surgeon said, Diana, if you suspect you have vagus nerve problems of any type, that don't have GI or GI surgery or abdominal surgery unless it's life threatening. Mm. So we cause gastroparesis. I'm like, okay, don't want that. Mm. So I left. I ended up going to the emergency room. And I hadn't had a bowel movement in two weeks. Oh and my plus you're just sick on yeah. top top of that. It's just miserable. Um, they tried Prokinetics, which should force things along. Nope, nothing worked. So, um, they also discovered that my gallbladder had stopped working wow. and the ejection fraction was pitiful. It was 8%. And they said, well, you should remove that. And I thought, you know, nothing is making sense to me right now. So why is that? Why is it not working? I said, is it filled with gallstones? I said, no. And I thought, is it, uh, infected with well, like an appendix or something where it could burst. And I said, no. And I said, well, it sounds like it could be neurological. And I said, it sounds like the organ itself is okay. I really want to think about this. Mm-hmm. So I'm at home lying in bed and I, amazingly, this, I don't know, divine intervention occurred, <coughs> excuse me, divine intervention where I developed a kidney stone and, What are the chances? I called the urologist. I said, I know you're going to think I'm crazy. I understand a few days ago when I was in your office, I didn't have a stone. I get that. But I do now. And he met me at the hospital and he removed the stone. And I remember, Melissa, when I woke up, he said, Diana, you were right. I said, what? He said, it's your ileocecal valve. And I said, how did you know that? He said, well, that dye I gave you to drink a few days ago is still all in your Oh track, but it's crammed up against that valve. I thought, wow, okay, I've got confirmation. We kind of know what's going on here. Mm. I said, what do I do? And he said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know I'm going to remove your kidney stone. So I was at home, miserable. I had exhausted every place that I knew of to go and had some confirmation that I was thinking on the right uh, train of thought. Mm. So resorted to, assuming I was right, my own scientific experiment to try to figure this out, Melissa. I thought if it's the vagus nerve and if it's not working for any reason, what could I do to try to stimulate that nerve? And I remembered in school there are two parts to the vagus nerve. And I remember drawing this and memorizing it, you know, that there was the long preganglionic portion that goes from the brain down the neck into the chest cavity, then down into the abdomen. There's a gap, or what we call a synapse, and then there's a tiny postganglionic vagus nerve. And I remember the instructor saying the postganglionic vagus. Nerve is so small; it's almost a part of the organ itself. And I thought, okay, as far as I know, I've never had surgery. I think I still have a postganglionic vagus nerve. If my preganglionic vagus nerve is not working for any reason, let's just assume that's the case. How could I stimulate that nerve? That well, I need the neurotransmitter because nerves communicate with chemicals, of course, neurotransmitters. So I thought, what is the neurotransmitter? needed by the vagus nerve, that, okay, well, that's acetylcholine. Acetylcholine is not a drug, though. We can't Mm. order that and inject it because the body breaks it down immediately. So instead, you have to use a substitute or what we call an agonist. And I thought, well, we learned this in school. What is the agonist for acetylcholine at the vagus nerve? That well, it's easy too, because that's the only nicotinic acetylcholinergic nerve in the body. And the reason we call it that is because its agonist is nicotine. So I called my husband at the office and I said on the way home from work, Can you swing by the drugstore and get a nicotine patch? And he's saying, What are you doing? You know, and I was I'll explain when you come, you know. But I put that patch on that lower right hand quadrant I didn't know if it mattered where I put it but I kind of pictured the nicotine going through the skin and landing hopefully on the the post-ganglionic vagus nerve and sure enough hour hour and a half later things started moving I had a normal bowel movement wow. and I used that um, patch again the next four days and did just fine and I thought okay we've learned something here one yeah. All the research to date with gastroparesis and POTS was considering we must have some autoimmune condition affecting the receptor. Mm-hmm. But no, the receptor worked great. That wasn't the problem. Yes. This was either a preganglionic vagus nerve problem or it was a neurotransmitter problem. And I had to continue to work to figure that out.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: Yeah, long story, I know. But nicotine, I would have kept using that because it was working great. But my stomach ended up purple. Um, um, Nicotine can activate inflammation, and it looked like I had been bitten by ants. And um, I had hives. I was itching horribly. I was just kind of miserable. And I remember thinking, I've ruined everything, and I'll never recover. Um, I had to stop using it. But I thought, okay, Could we figure out something, something orally that could come into place at once and work like nicotine, but without the inflammation that nicotine can cause? And it took me three years to to figure that
0: out. And that is where your Parasym Plus has come from?
1: Yes. Yes. That's what I ended up calling it. Um, I was trying so hard. I used my old organic chemistry knowledge. And believe me, Melissa, this is old <laughs> knowledge. I cannot tell you how long ago. I loved chemistry, though. And I was trying to work around genetic defects in acetylcholine because at first I thought... Oh, that's what this is. We have some genetic problem with acetylcholine. And we can't put it together properly. I wanted to work around that. Um, and then I wanted to cover for any reason that we wouldn't be able to put together acetylcholine properly. Then what could we do to make it also cross the blood-brain barrier? Yeah. Because so many people. People had, as I did, symptoms of low acetylcholine, not only in the vagus nerve, but in the brain too, and even tear production. So I had some goals, and I needed it to be... Uh, from supplements that were already available that were already shown to be safe I couldn't wait for some new drug to be developed and um, we had to see that bowel movement so I had some sort of reassurance that we got it that it's actually triggering that nerve so uh, it was quite the journey but it, my son and I were hundred percent dependent upon getting this right. Oh, wow. So, yet yeah, ended up calling Perisom Plus. I was trying to think, what do I want to call this? First, I thought I'll call it Super Regular because you can have a super regular bowel movement. But, but I'm doing so much more. It's <laughs> it's what else is it doing? You know, it's supporting the parasympathetic nervous system plus it's crossing the blood-brain barrier to help with cognition and that was significant for me too so i was pretty excited about it i just received a second patent for it which is very validating once you've been through yeah. an invisible illness that your doctors look at you like you have two heads they they assume this must be a psychiatric condition because they're not getting any answers but to get answers and to actually recover um, was very validating. And to stick with the science and science that patent, even patent attorneys could understand was was a wonderful thing to have.
0: It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. You know, and that acetylcholine stuff really ties back to your gallbladder, right? Not working
1: yes. properly. Yes. My gallbladder works great now. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> I felt so lucky that I hesitated on having that removed. Oh, The doctor was a little upset that he didn't just go for
0: it. (laughs) Yeah, as they are. I actually see this. um, There's some kind of – there's like a choline deficiency in women after pregnancy, right? So there's a really high incidence of gallbladder issues after giving birth. (sighs) And if we can supplement with a choline product or, you know, something like Paracyn Plus, it can completely um, eradicate the need for surgery.
1: Oh, wow. So important. You know, it's interesting because certain things can keep the vagus nerve working and we want to keep it going. Normally, it works by itself. We shouldn't have to make it happen. Right, It's it's part of the autonomic nervous system, so we shouldn't have to stimulate our own nerve. Something is happening to keep that from working right. And if it's post-pregnancy or post-surgery is another good example, or what I came to find was certain forms of inflammation block the release of acetylcholine. Okay. So we can stimulate that nerve till the cows come home and nothing happens. Okay. We've got to work around that to add in the acetylcholine that our body needs and And then it can work. So we can work around quite a few things, not just gallbladder issues. But life is easier with your gallbladder, you know, honestly. So I did feel real lucky to have that figured out. If you see other invisible illness people, we use that term fairly loosely, but we usually fall into fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, POTS, EDS, a few other similar conditions like that. the majority of those people will show the majority of symptoms of of low acetylcholine. It's highly prevalent. And you see they have their gallbladders removed very frequently Mm. and nothing good happens.
0: (laughs) So, Yeah. So how can they tell, like how can people tell if their vagus nerve isn't working well or if it's just a more like a more general problem with acetylcholine?
1: Mm-hmm. The way I figured this out, and this is where my eye doctor training came in, we're trained in the pharmacology, we're trained in the presentation of what's called anticholinergic poisoning. So if we ingest a drug that breaks down acetylcholine, and that would be drugs like the drops that your eye doctor uses to dilate the pupils, for example. Um, then that neurotransmitter just goes debunked and we end up with things like gastroparesis, constipation, dry eyes. Um, We have trouble thinking, get extreme, especially mental and sometimes physical fatigue. We might flush. So we look at more general presentation and we look at a tendency to get large pupils, fatigue, constipation, et cetera. And that'll, that'll give you the picture. If the vagus nerve isn't working well, first you need to know if it's a problem with acetylcholine. And usually those other symptoms will tell you there's not a blood test for that, unfortunately. Mm. We have to recognize it based on those symptoms. And if they're not on the radar, we just don't go there. So we see people who tend to have higher anxiety or they just can't handle any stress. They tend to have a short fuse. Uh, Their eyes are dry. Their pupils look big. You know, they get brain foggy and constipated. And oftentimes they're blaming it on other things saying, oh, I'm under a lot of stress, oh, I'm getting old or whatever. And you think, yeah, I get that, but we can be proactive here, even if you are getting old, even if you are under stress, that maybe uh, that you need a boost in acetylcholine.
0: It's no wonder that this is um, so closely thought of with autoimmune disease, right? Because lots of the stuff that you're talking about – Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. That's counting. All right, it is. She's um, not happy with her sleeping bunnies video. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. So, yeah, it's no wonder that the autoimmune disease I comes up, especially it no when you're tired in with chronic fatigue as well. I mean, that's one of yes. the most common things we see.
1: Yes. And that's interesting because autoimmunity tends to be an inflammatory state. And it's really easy to miss those people because they have other symptoms and the doctors tend to blame so much on the autoimmune condition, which I understand. But the chronic inflammation that can result in autoimmunity can block the release of acetylcholine. And if you don't recognize it, of course, you're not going to be able to treat it. It's so easy to right now right and we need to do that as eye doctors we're very aware of an autoimmune condition called Sjogren's syndrome and this was interesting because in Sjogren's syndrome patients get very dry eyes dry mouth it is an inflammatory condition but it basically attacks the gland and that produces tears, the lacrimal gland. But initially, the dry eyes are not from destruction of the gland. It's from the inflammation blocking the release of acetylcholine of mm-hmm. the lacrimal nerve. So the gland doesn't get the signal. And we can work around that for quite a while with something like Paracyn Plus. Mm-hmm. If the gland is still um, present, we can still get it to work. Um, so these things, we just have to think them through. And that's where I think in our case, like my son and I and a lot of the patients we see here, nobody's really thinking things out. Mm-hmm. Uh, very detailed. If we stay in the science, those answers are there. And we can improve the quality of life, not just in the invisible illness world, but in aging and um, uh, so many other conditions where people just try to push through that maybe they don't need to push through so hard. We can improve that quality of life.
0: Kind of, kind of blowing my mind right now in a good way. Oh, well,
1: that's good. <laughs> but, you we know, want that to be in a good way.
0: <laughs> when I do seminars about autoimmune disease, I always talk about them being the invisible diseases as well. So it's just that you know all those commonalities. It's just so fascinating to me. Um, but you have some other manoeuvres to support vagus nerve function or vagus nerve stimulators. What what has worked for you? You've got um, a few, you know, listed that uh, singing, meditation splashing right. cold water on your face etc. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk about that. And, and those those can help if you need to make that nerve work, right?
1: I think one of the best ones is say a good massage that um should relax you. And uh, even a Masseuse will notice if you start to hear gurgling, you know, if you're DI tract, they go, oh, that's a real compliment, because that means the parasympathetic nervous <laughs> system is in gear and that means they've done a good job. But for me and for so many other patients, that's just not gonna work work um the people that just doesn't work for ones if the nerve is damaged and it's very easy to damage the biggest nerve it's the longest cranial nerve in the body there are places all over the place where it can get damaged be it surgery heart ablation whiplash whatever um so if the nerve is damaged it doesn't help to do those things if you have genetic issues with the production of acetylcholine um, just trying to get that vagus nerve to work you will feel like a failure Mm -hmm. and then for me and so many others if inflammation is blocking the release of acetylcholine when we stimulate the nerve nothing happens so it's not the person fault it's not like they're not meditating well or their singings not good or whatever it's lovely when that works but if it's not working something is hanging it up and that's where para plus comes in the back door if you will it doesn't matter if that nerve is damaged it doesn't matter if the receptor works or if the postganglionic nerve is there it will still stimulate it if there's a genetic issue with the C- Choline, it, it works around all of those um oh, cool. so we're able to figure out a way no matter why that's not working as long as there's a receptor there we can still push it through
0: cool so can it help people with uh cyber which you know small intestinal bacterial oh, overgrowth
1: i am so glad you asked that this was something i dealt with for so many years and that dysbiosis was horrible for me it was horrible and um SIBO is one, SIFO is kind of the Mm. other one where the fungus gets Mm -hmm. overgrown. I had candida for years Mm. and they just could not get on top of it. My body honestly lost the ability to fight candida because it was so chronic. But normally the body prevents that with normal motility, with stomach acid helps Mm -hmm. kill some germs with the, Um, normal digestion induced by bile production from the gallbladder, digestive enzymes from the pancreas, and then keeping the normal bowel movements. So we find, and certainly at PODS care when we see this, we tend to do so much better if we don't go with an antibiotic. If we go to an antibiotic, it can help initially with some of the bad bacteria, but we're starting over with that flora again, and we end up 10 steps back if we instead support the normal vagus nerve function it goes away by itself and we don't have to um uh, have those 10 steps back with antibiotics so been hugely helpful mine just went away and i never want to have that dysbiosis again Mm. i had my um uh appendix removed last month i thought okay i'm going to be jumping on this right away because i have got to make sure all the antibiotics i had to take i did not have a choice yeah. um i was not going to let that uh slip into that dysbiosis i was going to keep that vagus nerve working and i didn't have an issue thank goodness mm. um but we see that all the time all the time
0: yeah yeah it's really common now i and you know yes so if somebody does have sibo but mm-hmm. whether it is a vagus nerve issue or not is Parasin plus going to help?
1: Yes, yeah, so you want to take um Pearson plus to support the vagus nerve and that's how it it can restore normal gut flora by restoring the motility, the acid, the bile, the digestive enzymes. All of those are meant to be our body's way to prevent SIBO. So putting that back in the place, it tends to just go away by itself. It allows the body body. uh, to to correct it on its own. And anytime we can do that without uh, antibiotics or antifungals, Mm. that's always preferred. The new research out on antibiotics is a little bit scary on how even eight years later, our gut flora is not what it used to be mm-hmm. and um yeah a little disconcerting we want to work hard to keep that right yeah. that's where most of your immune system is it's not just the discomfort that we get that awful bloating and feeling full so easily and all that comes with it blah. um but also the fact that our immune system can get involved and I have a lot of respect (laughs) for our our normal immune system. As much as we can maintain normalcy,
0: the better. (laughs) So, sorry. (laughs) It's okay. Um, You just, you mentioned the patent, the second patent for Paracyn Plus. What's it for?
1: Yeah. Yes. that That was kind of a surprise, honestly, Melissa. Um, It's for chronic dry eyes. And as an eye doctor, I so didn't see this coming. um, (laughs) Honestly, before I got sick, I would have never considered the autonomic nervous system in chronic dry eye patients. Mm. But we see chronic dry eye patients, and we treat them with everything we have. And I was one of those when I was sick. And we don't get resolution. And normally doctors will think, oh, the patient's not being compliant, they're not using their medication or their drops appropriately, because we've done everything and there's they still have dry eyes. But again, I was one of those people and my son and I both both developed horrible dry eyes. And I had everything at my disposal. Mm. So, okay, what are we missing here? What was missing was getting the acetylcholine levels up so the lacrimal nerve could work properly. So the lacrimal gland that produces tears was not getting a signal, much like the vagus nerve was not able to signal the gallbladder, for example, same issue. And when we put that back in place, the tear production improves. And the patient's vagus nerve is in action again, which is the anti-inflammatory nerve. So dry eyes, chronic dry eyes are highly inflammatory. We know, we know it's an inflammatory condition. The combination of improving the tear production and helping with the inflammation is magic for chronic dry eye
0: patients. So I was
1: really excited about that. Yeah,
0: So good. And so is that going to be appropriate, like you mentioned before, for Sögren's syndrome? If it's
1: early Sjogren's, yes. If the lacrimal gland is still um, able to work, if it's not fully destroyed, yes, it can help early Sjogren's um, by supporting acetylcholine. Sjogren's being an autoimmune condition does attack that gland. Mm. And later that can be more of an issue. But early on, hugely helpful.
0: Okay, cool. So talk to me about your cognition and your clarity and and the road that you went down. With your brain function.
1: Oh, it was ugly. It was ugly. It started out kind of this brain foggy feeling. It felt like I was thinking through oil, if that makes any sense. Mm. I just didn't have sharp cognition. And then it got to the point I was starting to miss words. And then my short-term memory just went to zero. And I was tested because I was applying for disability. And they tested my IQ and my short-term memory. Short-term memory literally came out of zero. And I believe it, I couldn't remember anything. If I put something on the stove, I had to sit down next to the stove, because I, if I walked away, I couldn't remember that that was on. Um, I had a magazine in the bathroom that I would look at and think, oh, what an interesting story. You know, I, I didn't know that. And the next day I'd look at it and I'd say, oh, what an interesting story. I didn't know that. I was teasing with my neurologist, because you have to laugh, right, at first. I said, every day that magazine is brand new, and I have had it for six weeks. <laughs> and he... Aww. And I would chuckle. But then it got so scary because I couldn't stay awake. It wasn't just the mental fatigue. I just couldn't work. I couldn't make a to-do list of two or three items and then do them. I remember struggling with this one day and I Wrote down one thing, and then I slept for seven hours, Um, and then I had a little bit of brain function, and then slept again. At my worst, I was awake maybe three hours a day, and those three hours I was really struggling. It was the weirdest thing getting acetylcholine back in place. I felt the ability to think come back within twenty minutes, and it it worked for maybe oh an hour and a half or so, and then I took some more, and it worked. Oh, about an hour and a half or so. and I took some more. It was the strangest thing. You do not have to get as sick as I was or get as bad as I was to benefit. But this was not subtle at all. It was a lot like going through Alzheimer's or some horrible dementia and then getting sucked back and dropped into normalcy again. Um, when the cognition started to return, I was so excited because I thought it was gone forever. Um, I started to read novels where there was one or two characters just to make sure I could follow that, and then got into more difficult ones. And I uh, practiced when I, I heard a phone number, for example, I tried to remember it to write it down, and then things started to come better and better. But I was really afraid it was going to be permanent mm-hmm. for a long time. So at my age, if I can recover, do you know whoever is listening, if anybody's sick out there, do know that. Um, you can recover from an amazing assortment of, of of horrible conditions when they're treated at the true underlying
0: problem. I mean, you had to go through Mommy this. Mommy my papa plays it. Okay, <laughs> you had to go through this stuff.
1: It brings back so many memories. You know, my kids now are twenty-two and twenty-three, and but of course, it seems like yesterday they were two. Oh. Um, so it's just so cute to see, every, or to hear her every it day. Really she's
0: learning how to podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. you had to go through this really horrible experience and to see your child sick I can't even imagine the pain that that must have caused you as well but for you you were able to figure this out right when no one else was how do you think how do you think (laughs) so many others missed it and and you got it
1: yeah I I wish I could say I'm just an incredible genius and I can figure out answers for these strange conditions. But you mentioned one of the main motivations and that was both of our kids were sick. Our son was incredibly disabled. Our daughter was able to continue in school. She just wasn't well, but he was completely disabled. And oh, the memories of worrying about that are still so fresh. So I thought if it was just me, I could see at some point just saying, I've given it my best, you know, and I don't understand this. Mm. But I just couldn't do that. He was so young, and and doctors weren't getting anywhere. So we were also living with it twenty four seven, and we didn't get a break. Our doctors went home at you know mm. four four thirty five o'clock or whatever, and they didn't have to think about it after that. We were thinking about it all the time. Um, and then also being an eye doctor really helped. And for example, with POTS, I started by looking in the eyes. No one had done that before. With this acetylcholine problem that looked like a vagus nerve problem, I noticed things like large pupils and some very strange visual symptoms. Um, people would see dancing lines or spiders. Or <laughs> I started to hear complaints like, visual snow or the static in my vision and that's really when it clicked like oh I know what that is you know that's a symptom of anticholinergic poisoning so I think everything just kind of culminated it all came together where I was in the best position to try to get answers and it wasn't just about me and my kids we started to do studies and we had an office to do them in and I had disability income that we just burned through every penny of that doing studies because we can't use this money for anything else since I'm too sick to do anything so that helped too so that combination of motivation being around it 100% of the time being willing to dig deep and actually needing to for our health was a magic combination for us.
0: And you, you went further than that, but didn't you? Like you've taken the next step to create a line of products to help people. <laughs>
1: Yes, we did. There, Like Pearson Plus
0: didn't exist
1: <laughs> when we needed it. So, when I'm in my kitchen, like putting this together um, and trying to get it just right so the ingredients would come together properly, that wasn't real easy. But I just continued to put it together for us. And then when I recovered from. Pancreatitis once. That's when I thought, I've got to try to get this out for others. But for a while, at least the first couple months or so, I wanted to use some digestive enzymes, and there weren't any that were good for really sensitive people needed low protease for example um i wanted to help with the stomach acid there wasn't a good option for that so i thought you know we need some special things and nobody's putting these out probably because they, they don't think there's a demand so we started um to put those things out to to help others and we've got some more coming so i'm excited about those
0: she's fine sorry Oh no worries, no worries. I'd love to know what you're working on now. What's happening? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe have some singing in the background. When, um, when
1: I decided I'm going to have to start getting answers ourselves because we're not getting anywhere with doctors, sadly, I set up genetic disease investigators. And my thinking was both of my kids oh, and I were completely disabled by this. Mm. My son was really sick my husband was fine. So it wasn't like there was something in the home or the environment. It was us. And I thought there must be some genetic component to this. It just has to be. Mm-hmm. So one of the goals I had was to start to look for some of the genes responsible because we as patients need validation for our suffering. Absolutely. We need better labels for some of these conditions like yeah. even chronic fatigue syndrome or POTS. Those those don't validate the suffering we go through they absolutely do not but if we can say oh we have this genetic challenge this would cause some issues that we might pick up in the blood oh there those are you know it just ties them together and then we can be more proactive maybe even to prevent getting sick so the genes are something i've been interested in for a long in a long time and we we're continuing um, are working that and creating a panel so I'm excited about that. POTS care I'm here full-time because POTS patients are very special <laughs> and we've got to start looking for the medical problems causing them so so we, we do that full-time too and oh, both lady, have been extraordinarily I'm... rewarding.
0: Yeah and that's how POTS care differs from other clinics right you're looking at underlying medical right. problems that cause POTS.
1: Not yes, and I, I, I found it so discouraging. They were trying just to treat the symptoms, and I was getting worse every year. And um, I, I did everything the doctor said for about three and a half what? years, but the very last time I saw the head researcher, and I said, "Throw me a bone here. You know, I'm just getting worse <laughs> every year. What are what are your thoughts?" And he said, "Well, we think POTS patients are perfectly normal. They're just more aware of their own bodies." I thought, "Okay, well." we've got to figure this out ourselves. And cause that's mm. just so wrong. I went from being quite functional and I got sick when I was 46. So I wasn't a teenager or something where I could yeah. outgrow it or whenever our son was eight and we couldn't wait for him to get older. It was clearly a medical issue. Um, But no one was interested in looking deeper. And honestly, here it is 12 years since then, and there has been little or no forward progress with that. And as a former patient, I was somewhat insulted by that because I thought, I am... I'm so, so sick. How could they misjudge this so poorly and think it's subtle? This is not subtle. If it was subtle, I could push through. I can push through quite a few things. I could not push through this. And my son could not push through it. So um, it's a very personal mission (laughs) to to not only uh, publish some of what we're finding, but to change how these invisible illnesses are judged, uh, evaluated, and
0: treated. you know i have a client um who has uh, an autoimmune disease and you put him in the invisible disease category and he was sent to a psych ward for two days (gasps) yes oh i'm so sorry i know all the tests were fine everything was was you know was in range everything was fine they couldn't find anything wrong with him so they said look we're just gonna go why don't you just go in and we'll see if it's in your head
1: oh wow You know, what's interesting, the sicker I got, the more psych symptoms I did have. (laughs) So I could see how to the uninformed, you know, I would come off as a a psych patient. But I knew Mm -hmm. any symptoms I had in that area, be it waves of depression depression or anxiety which was pretty typical I got to the point where I would have been psychotic or labeled psychotic if anyone had seen me I was losing the ability to control some of my own emotions and also felt like I lived in an alternate universe it was the strangest feeling I wasn't on the same plane as other people and I couldn't describe that to others but I thought I'm 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 not going to breathe a word of this to my doctors. So they will just lock me up. <laughs>
0: but, you know but fortunately, plane, treating
1: the the medical problems, those psych symptoms went away. Yes. And I wonder how many patients are diagnosed with psychiatric illnesses. And no one's looking to see if those are secondary to other things. We know that's possible.
0: And they absolutely I could, find that could heartbreaking. Be, yeah. But, you know, you're not on the same plane when you're suffering like that. And when you're so yeah. frustrated and you're lost and you don't have answers, you're on, you become, you know, I. you, you go into a different place. And that's right. not your normal life anymore, is it? Your, life, your previous life right. is gone. It, it was
1: what I called pretend living, you know. Yeah. It, it, it involves so much more than that, though, I will say. And the Driscoll theory starts to discuss the high integration cranial pressure, for example, and that does some weird things to the brain. Yeah. That certainly didn't help. Um, so there were actually medical problems contributing to yes. that, but yeah. to suffer so much and it's not just me, there's so many people suffering out there, which is one reason, Melissa, I'm, I'm so happy to to speak on your podcast because you're sharing information with others and as a patient who went through a condition that no one was getting me answers. Hearing um, help from people like you is, is hugely important. And to know that there are others looking into those things, there were reasons for it, but it did involve just an incredible level of suffering. Mm. And um, it was all unnecessary, which is
0: really heartbreaking. So, mm. yeah. How are you now? How How's your son?
1: <laughs> I'm, I, we are all doing great. Thank oh. you for asking. I wish we had had a crystal ball back then when everything was horrible. And it was horrible for so long. And I thought, is, is my son, does he even have a chance for a normal life, mm-hmm. you know, and um, but not only am I working full time and I have really three, basically very full time jobs, which is crazy. I didn't anticipate being able to do that and then coming home from a long day of work and going, okay, so what are we doing tonight? You know, or, yeah. or on the weekend, it's like, well, what are we doing this weekend? And. That was the weirdest journey to continue to improve, even over years, which was amazing. But to see my kids thriving yeah. was just awesome. Our son, as you know, was probably sicker than um, most. And I don't know that anybody got any sicker than he did. And he's just doing great. And we stay on top of some things. Mm. But he's now uh, he's going to be graduating from college soon, mm. almost straight A's. Oh, how wonderful. And an athlete of all things. I still so yeah. didn't see that coming in volleyball and just doing great. So I'm so glad we've got answers, mm. but it was years and years that were basically taken. I felt like taken yeah. from us. The only way to make that worthwhile is to help others not have to go through that. Yeah. So that's, that's really what I'm doing today.
0: And Diana, can I ask, do you, Would you say you have your health back from before being sick, or is it better now than it was? Yes,
1: I could not
0: be practiced. (laughs)
1: <laughs> if I didn't have my health back so yes my health is back I, I am an excellent caretaker of my body so I know what my genetic challenges are and I know how to stay on top of it I no longer have this fear of getting sick mm. like I did before um, because viruses triggered me initially yes. even when I was doing better at first until I had all the answers I thought it's just the next cold going to set me up you know, for 10 years of disability I don't have that fear anymore so i do manage some things but i don't have illness i'm not a sick person um i certainly haven't had pots in years i certainly don't have chronic fatigue in years Mm. so um it's great to be on the other side yes and it was very strange as a a very ill person going to the doctor even though hospital. I remember showing up at the doctor's office in a robe and slippers because that's the best I could do. Mm-hmm. You know, at least I showed up, but I saw doctors and nurses walking around and I thought, wow, wouldn't that be amazing to be like on the other side? And I didn't ever anticipate that, but I'm on that other side and I've been on that other side for years. And um, we really, really find meaning in life by helping others get there too. And it's an amazing job that we do here at POTS Care to help people get there. So super rewarding. Yeah.
0: I, I think you're so beautifully brave for telling your story and sharing, you know, your struggles and your family's struggles as well. Because uh, every time you talk about it, right, you have to think about it and relive it. And that in yes. itself is difficult. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing with us and the listeners, and I hope that even just if one person can hear it and go, oh, my gosh, that's I think that's what's happening to me and they can reach out and get help. And I'm going to put all of your contact um, details in our show notes and, you know, if people want to know more, they can get your books and you've got all of those beautiful resources there. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity so
1: much. And even if people aren't sick like I was, I think one takeaway is that we can be proactive in our health. And um, we, we can maintain a better quality of life when, we're, when we do that. And for the people who are suffering, no matter what they're suffering with, don't ever lose hope. Uh, there's always, always hope.
0: Thank you, Diane. Thank
1: you, Melissa.
0: Thank you. If you like what we do here at The Naked Naturopath, then be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Mel and MG Herbs, jump onto mgherbs.com, follow us on Facebook at MG Herbs Australia, and Instagram at MGHerbsOfficial. Please keep in mind that all advice and opinions on the naked naturopath are not individualized. To get the right advice for you, be sure to make a booking with Mel or your health professional.